0: Hi, welcome to The Treatment with Dr. Rahi. I'm Dr. Rahila Sarbazia, your host. This is your resource for all things health, wellness, and beauty. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Rahi. Today I'm here with Dr. Ali Rizvi. He is is a hospitalist and is working in Michigan with mainly COVID patients. I had him on about a month ago on my Instagram Live, and we discussed, you know, his time working in the hospitals, sort of when COVID was first emerging. So I wanted to check in again and um, basically, you know, see what's what's changed with COVID and um, how you've been doing. And also since then, I've also started working uh, in New York, so um, we could probably share our experiences and see like how how similar they are. So welcome, Ali, how are you?
1: Thank you, I'm good, how are you?
0: Good. So you're still in Michigan, right?
1: Yeah.
0: What, what city are you in, still the same place?
1: Uh, I'm working in Lansing which is the capital of Michigan but I'm uh, back home in Grand Rapids right now.
0: How far away from uh, Lansing is Grand Rapids?
1: One hour and Lansing is one hour from Detroit so pretty close to the epicenter.
0: So uh, last time we were talking you had mentioned that um, COVID was pretty out of control in Michigan yeah. and to be honest um, you pretty much inspired me to come out to New York. Um, so, since then, I'm out in New York, so I haven't really been keeping up too much with what's going on in Michigan just because I'm really overwhelmed with like right. statistics and, you know, dealing with COVID over here. Um, so, what's changed since we last uh
1: I think um, one of the most important things that's changed is uh, the general comfort level of the clinicians who are managing these patients. I think that we're no longer feeling like we've been just kind of uh you know uh hung out to dry. We are we are now feeling like we know what we're doing.
0: Do we know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, I mean do you, do anytime you, feel like anytime, you, know you
1: anytime you uh deal with a new entity, a new threat, there's gonna be a learning curve.
0: You right. Know? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we're learning. I feel like every day we're learning newer and newer things. I think when I first started about three and a half weeks ago, um, we were mainly, you know, focusing on treating uh, the virus, preventing it from like replicating, like doing things like hydroxychloroquine and yeah. azithromycin But now we're realizing that the virus also does, you, uh, causes a, like a thrombotic state. So yeah. it puts you, um, makes you very prone to developing clots right. so since i started only like three and a half weeks ago we've you know increased you know the treatments and offered um more things like now a lot of people are on anticoagulation and uh-huh. we're aware of that
1: yeah so starting about three weeks ago we started checking people's d-dimer levels which is uh-huh. as you know a level to, to try that kind of indicates whether or not there is a clotting process going on in the body. Yeah. And, uh, it's become standard practice to check D dimers on our patients yeah. now.
0: Yeah. So, um, we're checking D dimers. So D dimers do go high. They, they are higher in patients that develop clots. So, um, we're noticing really, really high levels. Yeah, I mean, even like super, increase like levels where I've never seen before. Um like I saw one at like sixty two thousand the other day. I was oh, wow. I know.
1: <laughs> I mean I've seen I've seen levels easily 600 700 percent of normal, you know? Um and uh and those people generally don't have obvious overt clots like in their lungs or in their legs. Right. But they probably have small clots scattered all over the body.
0: And that's why it can cause the um, kidney failure. It can yeah. cause uh, lung you know, issues, breathing, issues with oxygenation, um, and also cause strokes. Right. Have you been seeing a lot of strokes?
1: <clears throat> We've been seeing patients coming in with TIAs, um, um, which could easily be explained by the same process, which is basically a mini stroke.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so yes, I have started seeing um, uh, more, uh, an uptick in those cases. To me, I think the most interesting thing is the fact that across the board, these D-dimer levels are elevated, so you know that something is happening somewhere on a probably a microangiopathic yeah. level on a small level, you know?
0: That's where it differs from, I know a lot of times people ask me how similar COVID is to the flu, Yeah, but it's just not at all like influenza. Yeah, Um, And I've had people, I I don't know where that sort of comparison came from, um, but I've had a lot of people ask about it and that's just the only reason I bring it up. Um, But I've noticed, I've been noticing that there's just, so many different um, organs and different processes that happen, the organs that it affects and different processes that happen um, within your body that whereas with influenza, it's more like a respiratory infection, body aches, things like that, right?
1: Yes. So I think that um, a lot of the comparisons we see to the flu come from people who You know, they see one viral illness, they think they've seen them all, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, a cold, a flu, and a coronavirus, they don't want to differentiate too much between the three. Mm -hmm. Um, And we already know from hundreds, a hundred years of research that even though cold and flu can present very similarly, one is much worse than the other, Mm -hmm. you know, so this is just another example of that.
0: Right. Um, So when where where are you guys now? Do you guys do you see yourselves more like flattening the curve or do you think you're still sort of like peaking um in Michigan?
1: So um uh, Michigan uh has uh there's basically three Michigans. There's Detroit, mm-hmm. there's the west side of the state, and then there's everybody else. Um and Detroit seems to be kind of flattened mm-hmm. and which is an improvement from three or four weeks ago when it was uh, in a very bad state. Um, On the other hand, Grand Rapids actually just reported an increase today.
0: So it's basically just spreading to different areas and different communities. And when, when we say flatten the curve, what, what is it that we mean by that? It's more like ensuring that um, people, because people are still going to get infected, but we're getting infected more at a steady rate versus like really skyrocketing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what? When do you see Michigan opening? So. And what do you? Right-
1: see- go ahead. No, go ahead. So as of right now, um, Governor Whitmer has extended our stay-at-home order until I believe May. 15th or something like that Yeah. That's and uh, I think that California extended it to the end of May
0: when did they do that today yeah I- you know that's what I heard from uh some colleagues in California that they don't think it's going to um that the state will open until um potentially June but oh, um
1: yeah uh, what- however, that that's govern that's the pol- that's the political aspect of it. But on on the on down on the raw science of it, um, yeah. you know, the idea is to to um, to have the exposure level. We can't change the exposure level, but we can exchange. We can try and change how quickly it hits the population, and therefore not overwhelm our medical resources, which is exactly what we mean by when we say right. flattening the curve. Exactly. But um, reopening, I think, is going to be a calculated risk that, unfortunately, is unavoidable. You can't, it'll always be a calculated risk as to when to open. Mm -hmm. And um, based on what I'm seeing here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Lansing, Detroit, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that it might be possible to open in May, however, historically- the flu killed a lot of people the second, the second uh, time that it bumped, which was after they opened everything back in 1980. Okay. Right? So it's hard to know for sure. And it's definitely a, a judgment call that I personally would not be the one to be the one to make it. But um, I think based on what I'm seeing in the hospital Mm-hmm. that the numbers are starting to level out mm-hmm. and, and they're not as serious that maybe we can be okay in a few weeks to open things back up slowly.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, part of the reason that um, maybe patients are not presenting more critically is that we're able to, we know what labs to order. We know what, um, how to start initial management and like you yeah. do what we can to like really stabilize people sooner than later I think that has something to do with it. And then, um, I mean, what are you thinking about like the possibility of like herd immunity? I, cause I know everything I'm reading is like, we're not even sure if immunity is, uh, is even a thing in this virus.
1: So my thoughts on that, and I've heard that too, I've heard people talk about how reinfection is possible. And I've heard people yeah. talk about how you don't maintain an immunity. My only my only issue with all of that right now is that goes against the general accepted medical practice. Once you get an illness, you're generally somewhat protected against it for a little yeah. while at least, right? Right. Like right. in the case of influenza, if you get the flu in December, you're good until next December, roughly.
0: I mean, i I mean, there are I, I'm sure I've heard of cases of like reinfection, but probably not as much, right?
1: Right. I also think that the. Uh, a lot of cases where you hear about people getting sick again yeah. after they've kicked the mm-hmm. virus. I want to, I want to say those might actually be relapses and not second infections. So
0: they didn't actually clear the antigens out of their bodies, exactly. the viral particles.
1: That's what I think is going
0: on. Yeah. And I actually do think I've seen a patient like that where I don't think he cleared it out. And right. I think it just, um, your immune system can't mount a response. Um, and you're just the virus is sort of just lingering, but your immune system can't mount a response to like, yeah. say, it can create antibodies or um, or even like amount of response like that cytokine storm that right. people go into.
1: Now, I've taken care of three patients in the last four or five days who I know for a fact um, had coronavirus. They were treated for it a month ago yeah. and they never got better. And then they came back after their symptoms worsened like three or four weeks later. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so um, how are they doing? Do they end up getting to some of them improve?
1: I mean, they weren't doing well, but probably not as bad off as they were um, the first time around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I've been reading quite a bit about how, some people are just genetically more susceptible of, yeah. to have worse, worse outcomes.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and that's interesting because um, it's not necessarily everybody with a comorbidity. And um, I've been noticing that um, with patients that'll come in with like no medical problems at all, and they'll you know, have it versus patients that will come in and have multiple comorbidities will get the virus, but then they'll be completely stable
1: right um we have uh, i i definitely think there has to be a genetic component to it
0: yeah. that
1: why are some people just so much worse like, like catastrophic of the severity you know yeah and then other people are kind of okay
0: so um the facility that, that i'm in um mm. basically accepts patients um it's the more stable patients yeah. from surrounding hospitals that have more critical beds available because the facility I'm in does not have that and so um I've been seeing just um sort of the aftermath or sort of how people when when they're recovering uh, how that is and it's also very difficult in itself like you know um obviously the you know if you're critically ill it's awful and usually if you go on a ventilator like your chances are pretty low but if you're lucky enough to recover you're still gonna have a long journey ahead of you yeah have you, yeah have you been noticing yeah I
1: think um Where? based on just the last week of work that I've had mm-hmm. that there seems to be a lingering smoldering kind of uh in like a lion out like a lamb kind of um uh, uh curve to some of these patients who leave and they're just still sick. They still don't feel well enough to really do anything. And there's no way to know how long it'll take them to get better because this is all new to
0: us. Well, it's also problematic in the sense, in the sense that like most of the world is on shutdown and a lot of these patients are going to need recovery, rehab, physical therapy, pulmonary therapy and, we just don't have that, those resources available right now in most places, especially here. No, we here. don't, right. Um, that's part of the healing process. It requires that sort of support, uh-huh. which uh, we can't provide.
1: And also we're sending these people home and telling them to quarantine themselves. A lot of them live alone. Yeah. And they just don't have the social network no. or mm-hmm. the framework to support being so sick and coming out of it
0: well i've been noticing i mean i what i've been noticing and what the statistics are telling us too so i know this is like just generally like the whole country um it really affects people of lower socioeconomic status like more significantly than um others and that's like that's just really detrimental because what i've been seeing is just people can't They don't have anywhere to go and nowhere is going to take them because no one wants COVID.
1: (laughs) Right. And I've definitely discharged a couple of people home who I didn't want to, but I didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, and uh, forget about the person being not in the best shape. In many cases, the person's home is not in the best shape to accept a sick person. You know, yeah. and that's directly a result of of a you know low socioeconomic standing.
0: So the thing that I'm worried about, I mean, I know like in warmer places, the summertime will protect, m- most likely will protect them. Um, and New York is still pretty cold. I think it's going to take another month for it to warm up. Yeah. Um, but you know, the the virus is going to linger. And um, it, I, I'm sure it's gonna like you know reactivate us you know as soon as the colder weather sets in in the fall. Um, so I'm just worried about. I guess <laughs> that's just worrisome. And I think I don't, I don't know what to anticipate. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I am fully expecting for there to be a second wave. Um,
0: do you think that it will be more controlled, or do you think it's gonna be? the same are, I mean, we're more ready and prepared now as humans. Yes,
1: we are. Um, We are definitely on alert. We are more equipped now than we were five weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it will be as bad, but I think the main reason it won't be as bad is because we are more prepared. I really can't predict how bad will the patients be when they come in. Um, I, I want to say, based on what I'm seeing, is that um, you have, have uh, a milder number of, milder severity. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that there will be milder severity. Yeah.
0: M- and- mild okay. Okay. Oh. Were you saying something?
1: Hello? Yeah. I'm here. <laughs> um i think that it'll be milder severity it's hard to say the number of cases though you know hard to say are you dealing with uh more or less people
0: yeah yeah um so did you watch that instagram rant by that nurse practitioner yeah
1: yeah <laughs> the only
0: reason the only reason i'm bringing that up. Um, is because there are so many people out there with so like lack of education, lack of knowledge on the topic specifically and um, you know they have a platform to share whatever their opinions are and I think it's important for us you know on the front lines to be able to actually give like more accurate uh, a more accurate representation of what's happening yeah because yeah. Otherwise, then people like that girl are just gonna you know dominate and create like viral videos that are depicting you know like that are first of all like completely like um false and inaccurate, but also just like really like c- like creating like such a like bad um, like energy amongst healthcare providers like she was like right. Basically, some um, physicians and nurse practitioners and nurses working in New York City. So, yeah. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? So
1: oh. I have a, a lot of thoughts on that, and <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: um, a lot of them are emotional thoughts. So I won't get into that too much. Yeah. Um, I think I think on a more philosophical level, we have a growing anti-science movement in our country. Yeah. Uh, because science tells us what to do and Americans don't like being told what to do. So, right. Yeah. So, um, so when people are being told to stay home because they might die of this, you know, phantom menace that they can't see, they're like, well, I can't see it. So it can't be that bad. I mean, I've heard people say that, Yeah. you know? Um, and then you have a lot of people who, um, I mean, like, she's an, a nurse practitioner. Honestly, my first inclination is to tell her you should know better.
0: It's, yeah, you I know? mean, I think one of the issues is um, what you were saying, like, if you don't, but also, like, if you're in a part of the country where you don't actually see what's happening, or um, or if you, um, so you're not around, you know, the virus, like you're not around patients with it. yeah. So you don't really like have like an understanding. Then it makes it easy for you to criticize things that you're yeah. not like, on Then but also like, did she like, it just seemed like she had like no idea of what any of the research was showing um, on what like treatment protocols, what the different hospitals were doing what it's like to be in a pandemic, you know, things are going to be scarce. And, um, and the other thing that sh- the criticism was about, um, there were nurses or doctors that aren't necessarily like in that field helping out. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's what you got to do.
1: Exactly. That's what we have yeah. to do. When we don't have the resources, we work with what we've got. So when yeah. we have our anesthesiologists seeing patients, patients in the er what do you want us to do
0: do you guys right anesthesiologist seeing patients in the er
1: we have urologists seeing patients in the er
0: that's amazing yeah
1: can you believe it yep. they're wow. like seeing patients and admitting them to our internal medicine service that's amazing yeah wow
0: yeah um i mean yeah wow that's amazing where i'm at it's like mainly internal medicine yeah i mean you here soon right how long are you staying for when you come here uh
1: at least a week and then you know we'll play it by year after that
0: so then you're scheduled to come here sometime mid-may yeah and you're gonna be here for like a week and then do you have anything planned after that uh
1: i am uh i'm gonna start taking some time off because i've been working so incredibly much lately (laughs) and it's beginning it's beginning to affect me like I mean, I'm, I'm feeling okay, but you know, I don't want to get tired. I don't want to burn myself out, but yeah, I am coming in May and then I might stay in New York after my shifts are done. And if they ask me to come back for a a couple of shifts here and there, but I'm going to be working there regularly onward
0: in New York specifically or in the specific facility,
1: uh, at at that facility specifically. Um, but you know, whatever pops up, you know, I'm open-minded.
0: Yeah. I think New York is going to need help for quite some time. Yeah. Um, I can't. can't, um, It's still hard for me to imagine them opening up. Um, I think it'll probably be one of the last places in the country to open. Oh, it's
1: absolutely got to be like one of the last places.
0: One of the last places in the country to
1: open.
0: What do you think is going to happen though when we open? I think people are still going to be freaked out to actually go to places.
1: So we're going to have two two things and i've already started seeing this happening already yeah um you're gonna have one group of people who are gonna be very apprehensive and then you're gonna have another group of people who are just gonna go absolutely off the wall (laughs) you know they're gonna opening parties they're gonna go they're gonna party for whatever reason they can think of yeah but i and i know people who are already planning on doing that when this is all over but i also know people who are saying that when the quarantine lifts they will not leave their homes for another week
0: i think i might i'm not even sure where i'll fit in that air In that yeah. i think i'll be in the moderate group i might not necessarily go out and party but like maybe okay. No, like I think, think
1: that I want to, uh, yeah, I'm going to be in the moderate group. <laughs>
0: okay. There's certain places that I'm still like very, very apprehensive, to. like a, a crowded restaurant. I don't think that I will do that for a really long time.
1: I think the most important thing that we want to start emphasizing now is that regard, despite the seriousness mm-hmm. of everything that's going on and and uh, the long road ahead, I think that we're 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 doing better, and it's looking up. It's not like remember for a long time it was just gloom and doom on the news, you know?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, but I mean,
1: it's, it's not t- going to be easy.
0: No, it's no, it's um. I get a lot of people saying, "Oh, I can't wait to go back yeah. to what it what was," and I'm like. We we're never gonna go back to what was. No. That's just the truth.
1: No, um, I think and, I think we've been fundamentally changed.
0: Yeah, and um, and I guess we'll just have to take it day by day, and that's what I've been doing. Every single day is a new day, and I like um, try to be as present as possible because there's nothing. There's n- you don't have any other choice but to be present. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know? <laughs>
0: Cool. so thank you and I can't wait to see you I think you come and I leave like the next day so we're not yeah, really
1: gonna that's okay we'll we'll have plenty of opportunity
0: <laughs> well like I'll we'll say hi to each other in the airport
1: definitely <laughs> hopefully we can hang, have, a, have a quick <laughs> coffee or something but yeah we'll have opportunities
0: so um, be safe in Michigan and please try to take some days off yeah more days off, because you more, work so much.
1: More days off, yes.
0: Please, because it's so important to take care of yourself.
1: And I hope you're taking care of yourself, too.
0: I'm trying. I'm going to, after we're finished talking, I'm going to take all my supplements and um, go to sleep. And I'm <laughs>
1: taking the supplements that you've sent me, too. Yes. Thank
0: you Do you feel like they help?
1: I feel better.
0: Yes. Yes. And that's what we're there for.
1: And most importantly, as an asthmatic, I'm breathing better.
0: Because of the magnesium.
1: I I don't know what it is, but it is working. Whatever it is. Yeah,
0: I think. I mean, I also sent turmeric too, so that's going to decrease inflammation and the magnesium. All right, great. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) So if you like what you heard and you're motivated to live the best you, please subscribe to the podcast.